When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Been so long since a strange woman has slept in my bed. Look how sweet she sleeps, how free must be her dreams. In another lifetime, she must have owned the world or been faithfully wed to some righteous king who wrote psalms beside moonlight streams. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, of Free Wheel and Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about I and I from 1983's Infidels is fellow Bobcat Stanley Allen. Hi, Stanley. Hello. How do you do? I'm doing great. It's nice to virtually meet you. Thank you so much for doing the show. Well, I, I, it's great to hear the voice that I've been listening to for, for quite a while now. It's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I actually get to respond as opposed to just uh, what most people do is probably just yell at their phone. And I don't uh, I don't ever change uh, the things That's I'm right. saying. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, we're going to say we're going to be talking about I and I from Infidels. But before we get to that, I have to ask you, Stanley, this is your first time on the show. How did you become a fan of Bob's? Well, um I, I don't know how old the average age is for the people on your your podcast. I, I know there's a quite a, a wide range, but uh, I'm on the uh, upper end, I guess I should say. I'm 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 uh, I'm 58. I'll be 59 next month, and and so uh, I kind of grew up on classic rock, you know. And uh, it was, in fact, they just called it rock back in the day. It wasn't called classic rock until later. And you know, uh, in that mix, you got Bob. Bob is there. And uh, when you're young, it doesn't necessarily you're you're still figuring out all of your your preferences and so forth. And so I was really into you know the the classic aspect of rock, like the Beatles and you know the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and the you know the Pink Floyd and all that stuff. Uh, but somewhere along the way, I ended up getting his greatest hits. And and also I had uh, I like to play the acoustic guitar, uh, any guitar basically, but I had an acoustic guitar. And I don't know if you've ever I know you've said many times on your podcast that uh, you're not really a music person as far as, you know, making music and understanding the music. But there's a thing they have called fake books. Have you heard of this, fake books? I, I've heard the term, but I don't exactly know what even they are. I mean, I, I think the idea is it's it doesn't have every ounce of music that could be played, but it's got enough to, to fake it. And you fake along by, you know, playing. It shows you the chords to play. And so anyway, the, the point is I... I did have a, a book of Bob Dylan songs that I would, you know, sing and and uh, and play the, the the guitar chords along with, and uh, and so. It, it, but I had also the Beatles and and other other like Neil Young and and so forth. So it wasn't like it stood out necessarily as a separate from everything else. But uh, um, there was a a Rolling Stone magazine in 1987. They had come up with this idea. They would list the best 100 albums of the past 20 years because they were celebrating their 20th anniversary of publication. And, uh, you know, they had all the, the famous albums from the past 20 years and whatnot. But uh, the first album that they had by, by Bob Dylan on there was Blood on the Tracks. Sure, of course. Yeah, in the list. I mean, they had other, other many other albums by Bob Dylan on there, but that was the top one by him. And I, I had not really listened to it. I wasn't, you know, at the time as much into Bob, you know, as I am now. Uh, and so I said, oh, well, why not? I'll, I'll give it a shot because I, I kind of understood him from the folk background and that sort of thing. And not really, you know, I knew that he had more history to him and much more to his story than that. But um, listening to Blood on the Tracks was really, you know, a mind bender for me because I, <laughs> I had to put him in a new category. You know, is <laughs> a different kind of singer and, and, and songwriter than I had originally categorized him as. And, and it was really, really, very sweet. And I listened to that album many, many times a lot, mm. you know. And and so uh, I got to know it very well. And in fact, in my little fake book there, they had uh, the song. What's the what's the one that says a uh, bird sitting on a fence? What's that song? I forgot the title all of a sudden. Uh, bird on the horizon sitting on a fence. He's singing a song for me at his own expense. So yeah, that's it. You're a big girl now. Yeah. Yeah, you're a big girl now. No, that, that that's the wrong song. I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking of the two different songs, but the one that I'm thinking of that I wanted to play was "You're a Big Girl Now," and the reason is I I knew I had a friend who had a birthday party, and she decided to have all of her friends come over for a birthday party. I said, "Well, I, you know, it's the meaning of the song is not the same as Happy Birthday, but I'm going to learn this song and I'm going to sing it sing it for her for her birthday." And I, I did, and it was just fun to to make that connection because you know. <laughs> 
but of course, if she knew the meaning of the lyrics, it probably wouldn't be that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> now, okay, but I, I, you you said that Blood on the Tracks made you think of him differently. Can you yeah. recall what it what were you thinking about him to that point that made Blood on the Tracks recategorize him? Did you feel like he was like a '60s, like a relic from the '60s, and he hadn't moved forward? I mean, what was it about that record that changed how you perceived him? Well, I guess I guess I really it made me pay attention to him in a closer way. Because I, you know, had gotten, you know, used to him as, oh, these are fun songs, like on the on the greatest hits album. Oh, I love, you know, rainy day women. I, I this is great, uh, um, y- you know, uh, uh, lay lady lay, and you know, like a Rolling Stone. And those are all fine songs. It's great, but uh, I guess what I heard on Blood in the Tracks was a a deeper emotion mm-hmm. uh, and a deeper uh, sense of tenderness that maybe, you know wasn't as, as on the surface, you know, and some of those other things that I knew about, I'm sure it's, it was always there. And I know it's always there kind of going back and listening to, you know, earlier stuff, but really a blood on the tracks. It just engaged in much more engaging emotionally to me than the things I had been exposed to so far at that point. You know? Gotcha. I think there's a vulnerability to blood on the tracks that we hadn't heard exactly from him yeah. to that point. Yeah. And, and so, certain lyrics just stood out. Uh, in a way that, and and this, I guess we're going to get into this, you know, because of this this song we're talking about today, which is I and I. Uh, I I'm I'm a Christian, and of course there are things in the song, in his songs, all throughout his um, career that have had a, a touch of religious, you know, sort of meaning to them. Uh, and blood on the tracks, it was before his Christian period, but there were still echoes of symbolism in there, and and so forth. From from religious images, you know, like uh, what's that? What's that line? Smoke part out of a boxcar door. There's a lone soldier on the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't think that in the end, you know, he would win after losing every battle. You know, so there's there's kind of like a you know before the Christian period even came along, and I think you've mentioned uh, this on your podcast before. How sometimes just for inspiration, maybe he would have a big Bible sitting there to flip through, you know. Yeah, supposedly. He had some gigantic, idea, yeah. yeah, it was a huge Bible in his in his <laughs> foyer or something. Yeah. And also uh, uh, in that same song, you know, Idiot Wind, uh, he throws out the word holiness. Uh, that really, oh my goodness, the, the word holiness, you know, to use that word in a, in a pop song like that. <laughs> I don't know, it just really struck me in a way that I guess, uh, uh, you know, Wow, I, I've got to think about this guy at a at a level that I've not really thought about him before, and and how deep he can go. And really, it does get very deep. It's pretty, <laughs> yes. pretty amazing. Yeah. So okay, so, so would, yeah. So once once Blood on the Tracks comes along, I mean, are you are you on board uh, fully at that point, or are you still cutting in well, and no, out with him? You know, I I, I do feel like uh, I have to kind of apologize a little bit I, i'm not as deep a fan as i probably should be uh to, to but the, the, the truth is um i didn't like go back and, and listen to everything again and get all the new stuff and uh, i just i just uh I, kind of a one-track thing i just kind of focused on that 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 you know and then later on i said okay i'm gonna start picking up a few other things and so uh my my appreciation is not as broad as it is uh as it is deep on certain specific things so that's that album i really got into it and listened to that over and over and over again and then when when i got into infidels which is the record you know we're talking talking about today that one very deeply engaged me and i thought i thought of that as a really interesting statement you know and then uh time out of mind when that came out i mean i went once again i was thoroughly obsessed i just thought you know i guess i don't pay attention to the press the music press or anything like that uh, and so, but, and, and of course that was one of those times when everyone said, he's back, he's back, you know? And I felt that way just on my personal sense. Oh, this is really amazing stuff. And I listened to that over and over and over and over again. So, uh, I am all in, in a certain way. It's just that I haven't gone and explored everything. I, I guess I have to, uh, you know, give some props to, to you for, for having the podcast. Cause every time a, uh, episode comes out, Oh, now here's something I can listen to and, 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 <laughs> You know, I've never listened to before, so I've really had a, a lot more than than I generally would, probably. Well, I mean, first of all, there is no right way to be a fan. You know, <laughs> you like what you like. There is no. I, I remembered 
you know, I don't know, you know, people know that um, some of my other podcasts that I do and they're comic book related. I'm a big comic book person. And there was this whole thing. I, I hope that it still doesn't go on, but I bet it does at conventions where all of a sudden a lot more women were showing up at con- comic conventions because there's more for them to be uh, interested in yeah. than just and they were some of them were getting kind of treated by these nerd you know oh. these nerd dudes that were gatekeeping and were like oh can you name the first appearance of scarlet witch and if yeah. and they were like if you don't know that then you're not a fan and i remember somebody yeah. said you know how you know you're a batman fan yes somebody you like batman yeah then you're a fan that's it there's no <laughs> there's no you know I'm yeah. I'm as big a Batman fan as I know, and I haven't read a Batman comic in 20 years. I don't want somebody yeah. gatekeeping me. So, yeah. you know, you bought some Bob Dylan albums, you like them, then you're a fan. That's it. <laughs> they That's don't it. need to know any more than That's that. Right. I am interested. You Did you buy Blood on the Tracks, Infidels, and Time Out of Mind? Did you buy any of them as they were rolling out, contemporary, no. or did you buy them later on? No, it was later on. I mean, okay. uh, like Blood on the Tracks, I guess I probably wouldn't. I've picked it up if it hadn't been for that that Rolling Stone. Oh thing. right, I'm was, sorry. Of course, yeah, you said that it was in that. Well, it was it was, it was it was kind of like after I got out of college, uh, they they had turned all my my classic rock music that I grew up with into some kind of commodity where it was just in your face constantly. And I said, I got to figure out more to listen to. So I, I kind of <laughs> used that as a, a springboard to pick up other things, you know. And and so I it was time to expand and, and that was, that was the perfect time for me to reach out and pick that up. Okay. And I, uh, I'm glad I did. You know, have you ever seen him live? I have never seen him live. And I, uh, I didn't, I didn't take the opportunity. I think this, this time around he was coming around, he was close enough, but, uh, I, I had, uh, already spent all my concert money on other things. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that you have very specifically, yeah. <laughs> earmarked concert money that's it now are you a little are you a little afraid to because you've heard some things about it can be dicey or or is it just it's just been circumstances actually, no i would i would actually very much enjoy to watch to watch you know a live performance i do like live music and i like the bands that i like i do like going to see them live and but um but you know uh i i have through your podcast i've learned that you know you have to go in with a certain different set of expectations than for example <laughs> yes <laughs> like i just saw this summer we saw steely dan well it was note perfect and it was just like right off the record maybe with a few extra flourishes a difference in the guitar solos but hey this is your the fans are paying to see you know that music as they've heard it and <laughs> i want to hear i want to hear reeling in the years the way i remember it off the record exactly and when you go to what i've learned from from all of you, you and your the fans that listen to your podcast and talk is it. It may be the third verse in before you realize it's like a Rolling Stone. You know? <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, there, there still is that infamous concert supposedly he did in like Sweden somewhere where he did a nine minute version of New Morning that only features two lines from the actual song. And I, you know, I've just never bothered to track down that bootleg, but. It's yeah. probably on YouTube, but the, I want to hear it just for the sheer perversity of it. Of like, what is a nine-minute, completely rewritten new morning with a new tune even sound like? That's That's <laughs> so I'm um, so okay. So when it comes to infidels, you're putting it on a. You mentioned it in the same breath as Blood on the Tracks and Time yeah. of Mine, and that's quite the compliment. I think a lot of people would probably do that, uh, put them in a similar category. So overall, what was it about infidels that? clicked with you the way blood on the tracks and time out of mind did because of course blood on the tracks and time out of mind thematically very similar infidels is kind of i mean it's got his woman trouble songs because every album of the of his has those but what was it about infidels that uh, really clicked with you well uh actually i'm gonna step that back just a tiny bit because i cannot really listen to all of infidels there's a couple of songs in there that i generally skip i don't really care which ones you gotta tell us which ones you probably know, like Union Sundown. I'm not coming. I heard the, the podcast you had the other day about Union Sundown. I'm sorry. That just doesn't get me. I, I, I don't. Despite I don't. <laughs> the sales pitch that Matt Simonson made for Union Sundown, still not working for you. I appreciate his effort to make it work, but I've, I've got a story in my mind about that song that, that makes me not want to listen to it. It's basically, I think it has to do with wanting to become more politically relevant again after having been a Christian and you know, putting all these Christian albums, he 
I, I, I have a sour feeling about that song because I think he's like, okay, I used to sing about politics. I want to start singing about politics again, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start. And the other one was, uh, you know, Neighborhood Billy. I just think, oh, well, you know, I don't know that's not that's not what I came here for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, you know, fair enough. But fair but enough. yeah, but the other ones on Infidels, and and so here's here's the. Here's the pitch that I'm going to give you basically about about the song I and I and about infidels. I've been thinking about this a lot because I know that that uh, you know once you get off into some of the religious imagery and a lot of the fans are not really fans necessarily of the Christian period, and I'm also not a fan very much of the Christian period, even though I'm a I'm a Christian and and I, I you know probably would agree with a lot of sentiments in that those those songs. But uh, I guess here, here's here's my you know I'm just gonna roll this out and see what you think about this as a as a concept. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm ready. Uh, let's let's just say that uh, you, for whatever reason, for uh, either because of uh, uh, people that you got around, or or um, because you were inspired by a certain political events or something like that. Let's say that you become a a committed communist and and you you become engaged thoroughly with communism and and you read all the uh, literature of communism and you join the communist party and you uh you you surround yourself with people who you know are, are all about you know um uh those ideals and 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 those that history and so forth that would uh, introduce you to a lot of, you know, wor- uh, books and 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 uh, history history and and individual people would become you know significant. Uh, Karl Marx and uh, you know Frederick Engels and all these people would become you know touchstones in a way that for you as a as a communist you know that would be per- fairly obscure to most people who are not into communism and don't have much history except a surface level. Of communism, right? You okay. Know? All right. I'm. I'm. Okay. We're going down this yeah. track together. Yes. Sure. Sure. And, and so, and then let's say uh, you become disaffected with communism, and you decide, what a bunch of hooey! I can't stand this junk, and I'm so disappointed by the the hypocrisy of the people in this movement, and uh, and the ideals were turned out to be a lie. I don't like it. You know, at that point. You have gotten, you have absorbed the, you know, the, uh, all of the culture of communism and, and the, the specific references and the inside jokes even within communism, the inside references and the, the phrases from the famous books, you know, and the titles of the books and the, the famous personalities of, of the history of communism. You would have all that knowledge in you but you would now look at it in a different way and it would all look to you you know you might have uh whereas in, in during your obsession with communism you might exalt a certain person in the communist history but then coming out of it you might decide you know here's here's all the flaws with that person or here's all the flaws with this idea right you know so anyway that that's that's what i'm saying that's what i'm thinking about infidels infidels strikes me as that this is the album that you know Bob is coming out of his Christian period. He's coming and putting putting that behind him, so to speak. And and when and when you look at it, it's got all of this stuff that he's been gathering up and, and absorbing and accumulating, you know, from uh, religious thought and from you know from the Bible uh, and from the Christian uh, community that he was involved in, you know. And so listening to infidels is really interesting to me because I recognize all of those touchstones and I know some of those references and I know how he's taking them and turning them upside down. You know what I mean? Hmm. I mean, like when you go to the Christian period, if he's talking about a, a quote from the Bible, it might go over some people's heads who are not really familiar with the Bible. But if you do know the Bible, you recognize that reference and you say, he's saying rah, rah, hooray for that. He's he's supporting it. He's he's putting it as a positive spin. And then when you come to infidels, here's other quotes from the Bible, but he's kind of turning them around. And and you know concepts from the scriptures or concepts from his 
you know, Christian period. And he's kind of giving him a different twist and, and maybe even a negative twist, you know. So that, that's that's kind of like how I, that, that's what's fascinating to me about infidels uh, in general. And of course, I and I particularly is just, you know, wow, he's he is taking this stuff that has had a deep emotional pull for him and engagement, you know, for many years now, three or four years, he's been singing it, promoting it, pushing it, you know, saying this is the real thing. Yeah, he went all in, no doubt. Absolutely. You know, and then Infidels is like, oh, wow, let's take this phrase that that means, you know, so much and let's let's flip it upside down and turn it around, you know. So I guess I guess what I get out of it on the one hand is uh, he's very, uh, you know, clever in one way. But also, I think it, it represents just how much deeply emotionally he was grappling with things and trying to, you know, cl- reclassify and recategorize all of that. Okay. I, I, I you know, I mean, I, I've talked about in other episodes that, that a lot of his, uh, a lot of his religious references when they're not direct, like they were in, in the born again records do go over my head a little because I'm not, I'm not a really religious person. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's interesting. I never, I mean, yes, there's obviously stuff in, spread across infidels that has a religious bent to it, but I never really perceived it as that kind of thing. But you, you feel like you hear, do you feel like you hear it in virtually all the songs or at least the ones that are your favorites that he's taking that material and then kind of inverting it in, in, in a different way? I, I think, I think that's, that's what I hear quite a bit, especially in this song, I and I, and also Joker man. It just seems to me like, you know, wow, that phrase that phrase that he's obviously, you know, has picked up from the Bible. It's obviously a phrase straight out of the Bible, you know, you know, or, or, or something like, like Joker man. I mean, Joker man is just full of those things like, you know, uh, the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy right. and Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, but, uh, but, but then, but he's taking those things and, and saying, you know, I don't like that anymore. I don't like these concepts anymore, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I know that if if we were to sit and break down all those things, it would just be you know kind of a bore. But but that's I guess uh, that what I pitched to you here is is the the color that through which I'm looking at that whole album. Mm. Uh, but you know, like I said, especially certain specific parts of of certain songs, you know, uh, wow. stick out and and say that you know. Well, I was going to say, like, every every album that, you know, he does has all kinds of references in it. And, you know, picking them out is just fascinating in, in and of its own right. You know, like like in Love and Theft, he's got that quote from uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, what do you, you know, you can't repeat the past. You yeah, know, what do you mean he can? Of course you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, if, and when I heard that, the first time I heard that, I got the album. I heard, ah, it's quoting old F. Scott Fitzgerald. Look at that. It's amazing, you know. But, uh, you know, it, it's fascinating. That is fascinating in its own right. But, but, but then, uh, I think in, in Infidels, it's, it's kind of more than just a game for him. I think he's taking this as in this stuff that has really deeply engaged him, this religious images and phrases and so forth and, and, and reworking them, you know. Uh, in that way, and I think I think it's kind of a, I think it was kind of freeing. I imagine you know not wanting to try to read his mind necessarily, but you know when you go to the Christian period, those albums, you know the uh, Saved and and um, and the other ones, uh, it's kind of like uh, you have to come to the conclusions you come to. You have you, you to be an Orthodox person to to have a religious faith that matches. You know the the pattern that matches the the ideal, so to speak. You you're not really free uh, necessarily to to overturn that, and you know. So, but then an infidel's come along. He's free. You know, he can he can rework the material all he wants. You know, he can rework these Bible verses and these religious ideas just all as much as he wants. I think that was probably very freeing for him as an art, artist, so to speak. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This, I mean, this song, I mean, obviously everyone knows at this point that the, you know, 
uh, he had been spending time down in the Caribbean and he picked up a lot of uh, influence, both sort of sonically and lyrically from the musicians yeah. and the music that he was, uh, you know, dabbling with down there. And you know, I, I, I mean, I and I, again, especially this, this song, probably the yeah. most of any of the songs on the record seems to be the most explicit and that it is, you know, again, sort of dabbling in, you know, the, the Rastafarianism and things like that, the, the concept yeah. of the I myself. And, you know, it's sort of funny. I've always thought that I can't profess to know much about it outside of the most broad sense. But I also noticed that, like, throughout his uh, years as a, you know, on the Neverending Tour, he's got that I logo uh, on a lot of his merch. You know, yeah. uh, that's a big thing. And it's been... Um, you know, say what you want about the the quality of the graphic design of his of his material. This <laughs> stuff, some stuff's pretty pretty shaky, but other stuff's pretty good. But uh, that I logo in one form or the next has lasted across thirty years at this point. Sometimes he's even had it projected on stage, and yeah. uh, you know, I always thought, well, he obviously found something in. Th- that part of uh, the 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 not the religion but the belief structure of Rastafarianism that yeah. I think has stuck with him, and here he is marrying it with what he's learned, as you just were talking about from his Christian period. And yeah. I think it all depends on you know some people. I think probably I knew someone who was a friend of mine that was very dismissive of of Bob because uh, well he didn't like the music anyway, but he was dismissive of Bob because he as he said once. He's like, oh, I'm a Christian. No, I'm a Jew. No, I'm a Christian. And he was saying that in a negative way. And I was sort of like, well, the guy's searching for answers. What's wrong with that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's, um, and I, I feel like Bob's not a dilettante on these things. I feel like when he does something, he goes deep, uh, as we just talked about, certainly with the born again stuff. He went, he went way down deep. Yeah. Uh, and you and know, I, and it, I think he was thoroughly sincere and yeah. And, and yeah. even, even uh, you know, even committed in a way that some, you know, some people uh, are deep, maybe more deeply than some people to put his whole career on the line and to yeah. put his whole reputation on the line like that was pretty, pretty bold. I don't think it was anything, you know, just dabbling at all. Uh, yeah, definitely. Certainly committed and, in a way that his record company wished, wished he had not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, I mean, so, so what is it about this one of all the tracks? I mean, again, we were, as you, you already talked about Union Sundown, but I mean, what was it about this song that, uh, you know, that you really wanted to talk about? Well, first of all, I mean, the lyrics definitely, all of them, I, I have definitely opinions about them. And I I feel like if I just talk about like that, it would bore everybody. But, uh, but first of all, <laughs> let me worry about that, Stanley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. But, but first of all, <laughs> Let me ask you, when you listen to this song, let's, I'm just thinking about the music, first of all, just the music. What do you think about the music of it? How does it make you feel? Does it, what sort of mood does it put you in? Because I have a, I have a feeling about it when I listen to it. I just don't know if other people feel the same thing. Hmm. I mean, it, 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 okay. I will say this has never been one of my favorites of his. I don't dislike it. But it's never been one of my favorites, and I'll, I'll say because I I think it is trying to marry uh, lyrically and musically. I think two concepts, which is again the the sort of spiritual side, the I and I stuff, with lyrically a lot of very pulpy kind of uh, okay. uh, film noir kind of stuff. Okay, and I don't know if those two mesh together super well. I think Bob lyrically is a master well he's a master lyrically in every conceivable way but he's he's a master lyrically at setting a scene with very few words you know putting something across and just in the first um that first verse that we read yeah he already is i i'm i'm imagining like a paperback book called i and i you know like with like a cover by like robert mcginnis or something (laughs) and you know, and and it's it's the same. He doesn't expressly mention that it's like a hotel room, but I picture like a dingy hotel room, probably the same yeah. hotel room that's in the same down the hall from Simple Twist of Fate. Yeah, uh, exactly. down, you know, one floor <laughs> up from Caribbean Wind, and a couple of floors down from Tin Angel. It's that kind of thing. You know, maybe it's the Abernathy Building where they did the yeah. theme time radio hour. 
And then the verses kick in and the verses get so kind of spacey and out there that I always feel like I'm a little lost. I'm like, what? what? All yeah. right. And then he, then he kind of pulls it back down again, both again with the music and the lyrics. And then he goes back out and I feel like I'm, I'm just, I've always, I've always been a little like, I'm just not, I'm not sure I fully grok this song. Okay. And that's why it's always left me a little like, okay, I like it, but it's, you know, even on like infidels, I would put it near the bottom of the ones I listen to the most. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, so I'll, I'll tell you the mood that it get the mood that I get out of this song, just as a music, so to speak, before we get into the words aspect of it. But so, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's interesting to compare this song, this, uh, the, the, the one on infidels to the, the demo sort of version, the bootleg version. Because I think the one on Infidels is the one where the drama of the music is much more effective. Uh, and I think the goal they were that, that he or, or, you know, whatever the production was, I, I'm actually not even much of an expert to know about the production of it, but, but, um, to me, this, this song and this, the mood of the song is all about menace and, and being very menacing. And uh, you, they got the reference, you know, to the, the guy standing on the train track, you know, waiting for spring to come, you know, the train platform and smoke is coming down the track. This music makes me think of a soundtrack to, uh, you know, like a Sam Peckinpah Western or something. <laughs> uh, okay. You know. Right. We're Bob familiar with that. Certainly. Yeah. And, and it's got that, it's got that same sort of, uh, menacing vibe of that kind of movie you know what i mean mm-hmm. because uh well first you know uh it's much it, it's very slow and deliberate and it's very you know uh i i would call it uh you you mentioned film noir but i i was thinking more like um like the, a western movie but but do you, I don't even know if it's a, if it's a musical instrument, but there's that really weird sound that comes in every now and then, it's like you know that weird sort of echoey type sound that kind of gets repeated every now and then in the song. Mm. Uh, I don't even know if it's, it's, it's a musical instrument making it, but that sounds like a cinematic effect too, like uh, something very menacing. And then that combined with this, you know, this sort of confrontational chorus like you know we're not going to honor we're not going to forgive and whoever you know whoever sees my face is not going to live you know that has a very aggressive sort of stance you know what i mean all right continue yes yeah so that, that's that's what, that's what i get out of the mood i, I just want that's what i think as far as like a, the music and the mood of the song anyway interesting okay yeah so but but then, uh, so uh, the other part of the, the, you know, the going going into the meaning of the song, you mentioned the first verse. You know, if, if you if you're kind of if you follow my my pitch that I was giving earlier about uh, you know coming out of one world and and reevaluating that, you know, in the Christian period, especially for you know uh, the 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 kind of uh, the brand of Christianity, I guess you want to say that Bob was involved in, you know, he was not uh, attached to a Catholic uh, version of Christianity or even, uh, you know, one of the major mainline type Protestant organizations. It was much more evangelical, much more fundamentalist yeah. sort of version of Christianity that he was involved in. And one of the, you know, critical things in that, in that kind of Christianity was, you know, to be, you know, to, uh, your body belongs to to God, and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you do not go around sleeping around. You do, that's not part of. That's against the ethic uh, of of you know that 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 kind of Christian faith, right? And then, uh, but then, if if you're putting that behind you, now you might say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go back to having you know casual you know relationships, right? And and now. Here's the here's the phrase. It's been so long since a strange woman has slept in my bed, right? Mm-hmm. I, I see him now saying, "Okay, I'm, I'm kind of putting that that religious uh, idea behind me, 
and I'm, I'm willing now to go out and, and have a strange woman in my bed you know, again, you know. <laughs> hmm. And so that that's that's how I'm kind of reading that a little bit. And then, but he's still got that religious echo in his mind. He's thinking of her as uh, maybe one of the beautiful wives that belongs to King David. You know, King David would be the guy who, the righteous king who would write Psalms, you know, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So there's still some religious, you know, uh, echoes of that still in his in his mind. So that that's that there's one there's one wrinkle there that that I, I'm sure you know there's been plenty of people who've done you know writing about Bob Dylan's songs. Uh, there's there's no nobody no nobody's gonna have missed that would be a reference to you know King David. In the right. Bible, right. Right. So. Huh. I I I have to say I never thought about that angle. I never have. Uh I again I I always took it as this is a guy who is is he's he's seeing himself for the for, for who he really is and he can't stand what he sees. <laughs> and you know, and and he hates himself, and again, he's dealing with it. I mean, Bob's dealt with this through through all you know many of his songs. Yeah. The concept of is is when he says "I," am I talking about "I"? Am I talking about another person? You know, the the yeah. the, the, the triad is throughout his songs in so many different ways. But that's always how I I always took it to be that it's somebody who is engaging in these transitory relationships, and we're we're only and you know we're sort of seeing and again now now that you say you talk about well that could be a stand-in for religion the beautiful woman is could be the religion that he got in bed with and now he's rejecting it and he's going out for a walk (laughs) and not 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 much happening here nothing ever does um and i I do like that that wonderful besides if she wakes up now she'll just want me to talk uh, which is, like it's, you know, oh boy, Bob, you know, the, the, I get, oh boy, singer, oh boy, yeah. narrator, not Bob, but the narrator, that kind of like, oh yeah, what a, what an imposition she's putting you in, putting you through is the, she wants to talk to you after you've slept together. Like, oh boy, yeah. poor you, you know? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I guess the, what I'm thinking about there is I, he's saying, I don't, I got nothing to say, especially about whatever it was. He doesn't even want to say what the topic is. Yeah. But I think what she probably wants to talk about is, Bob, you know, why do you, why did you do this? Why are you doing the way you're doing? Why did you have that religious faith and why did you reject it? And hey, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I'm tired of talking about that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's interesting. Again, I had, I never really thought about that. I hadn't really pieced that together. Again, it does, it certainly does set a mood and it does seem incredibly grim. You know, like it's, uh, don't, don't, the song after that closes the record, don't fall apart of me tonight is much more lighter fare, which yeah. is kind of an inversion of what he normally does. Normally he kind of ends his records real heavily, you know, whether it's ain't talking mm-hmm. or lone pilgrim or desolation row. He usually saves the real heavy stuff for the last one, but uh, for <laughs> infidels, he kind of flips it because this is to me a very heavy song. And then you got yeah. the next one is a, is a lot. Later, but yeah, you mentioned the the two men on a train on a train platform. There's nobody saying waiting for spring to come. The world could come to an end. All weren't the world could come to an end tonight, <laughs> but that's all right. She'll she should be still there. Still, be, I'm sorry, I'm very stuttery tonight. She should still be there. God, I see, I can't even say it. He sings it. Uh, <laughs> sleeping when I get back. Yeah, uh, and then he goes again. Is back to the course, and then noontime. I'm still pushing myself along the road. The darkest part. Into the narrow lanes, I can't stumble or stay put. Beside someone else is speaking with my yeah. mouth, but I'm listening only to my heart. I've made shoes for everyone, even you, while I still go barefoot. Now that line, to me, always sticks out to me as like talking to his audience, maybe, or talking to yeah. his record company, or talking to, or again, it could be on a more personal level, talking to the people that he's provided so much, maybe even in you know, in a, in a material sense. Or yeah. just in an emotional sense, I've done so much for you and I'm getting nothing back. Uh, which again, I thought was, yeah. that's a powerful line. But like I said, every time there's something about the chorus that just, it, it just feels, I don't know. I, I feel like I lose the thread of the song while he's doing the chorus and then he comes back to it. Now you mentioned the, the, uh, the other version on the springtime in New York set. 
that yeah. that has some minor lyrical changes. Uh, I actually prefer this version. I think the one on Infidels is. I like the the one on Springtime in New York to me is a little too fast. Yeah, yeah. I think this. I think the slow one is more effective. But yeah. um, but the menace. I mean, you're talking about the chorus, and I think that that those phrases in the chorus are what add the most menace to the song. Like, you know, you think about um, the 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 Jewish religion and also the the Christian religion. You know, the idea of honoring your father and your mother and the idea of honoring God and, and you know, worshiping only one God and so forth. Uh, and, and then and then forgiveness, the idea that, you know, uh, plays a big role in, in Christian, you know, faith. Uh, he's re- he's like rejecting. I don't want ne- neither honor nor forgiveness. Forget those stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want any of that stuff, you know. And then, you know, well, the, the mood of saying to, to somebody else, nobody sees my face and lives, that's a very aggressive, very, you know, uh, confrontational thing. But the funny thing about that is that is actually a phrase from the Bible as well. Oh, is uh, it really? Is, okay. Yeah. So I don't know if, uh, if, if you've been any time in Sunday school or what, but the, the famous story of Moses on the, on the mountain, you know, Moses received the tablets from God on the mountain and he was leading the people, you know, through the desert out of Egypt and, and heading toward the promised land. And one of the, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that Moses said to God during that time period was, you know, I really want to see you. I, I you know, he worshiped God. He honored God. He said, I really want to see you, you know, and, and, and he wanted a vision of God. And so, God's response to that was, well, I'm going to, I'm going to cover you up and hide you in a rock. Uh, and, and, and you're going to see me, but you're not, you're going to see only a part of me. You're going to see a portion of me as I, as I go through, but you cannot see my face because no man can see my face and live. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is, this is what I was saying earlier about taking phrases and then turning them upside down. Like in, in the context of that story, you know, God's holiness and God's perfection and his greatness are too great for a man to handle. He, you know, mm-hmm. no man can see my face and live. And, in, and, but to put it like in the, in the context of a, like a Western movie and, and a Sam Peckinpah sort of thing, this one guy says together, nobody sees my face and lives. Oh, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Oh, I think about it. It's a very film noir line. You yeah. know, you could see a movie about an escaped criminal who somebody yeah. runs across and he's like, no, no man sees my face and lives. You know, I tell you, I could yeah. totally hear Sterling Hayden say a line like that. So yeah, yeah. that's uh, a, <laughs> well, like, what's, the, what's that? What's that movie with a uh, no country for old men? The, Oh yeah, uh, yeah, sugar, Anton Sugar or Sugar, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. If, if, if you see me, you know, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> call it, you know, <laughs> call yeah, it. Call uh, it. No, I'm not going no. to. You know, yeah, that's totally. Yeah, that's totally true. Uh, that's I hadn't, I hadn't really. I don't think I. I I think it's one of the things where I made an emotional connection to that, but never, you know, really put it together in my brain until we're sitting here doing it. You know, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, okay, all right. Because uh, again, it, that chorus I was just never totally tracked with me. But now that you're talking about, like, okay, I could see where it is marrying together what he's doing here. You know, he's putting together these concepts which seem very disparate. But yeah. you're making your case, Stanley. I appreciate that. You're kind of like, <laughs> okay, all right, well, I see what he's talking about. If, if you don't mind me going back to a couple of verses there that have a few more. Oh, of course, of course. Well. um there's one verse there's that you mentioned a minute ago into the narrow lanes. I can't stumble or stay put uh, in the Christian uh, faith. You know, there's a, the famous uh, sermon that Jesus gave the sermon on the Mount. And there's a, there's a line in there where, you know, Jesus talks to uh, the disciples and says, you know, uh, there are two broad, there are two roads that you can take in life. There's the broad road and that broad road leads to destruction, you know, and you need to avoid the broad road, you know, basically following the crowd and going with the whole world. You need to go into the narrow lanes and the narrow road because that's the road that leads to life. You know, enter through the narrow door. And, you know, so he's challenging, you know, his followers to to follow the narrow path, you know. 
And then this this line here that that Bob you know sort of gives here is into the narrow lanes I can't stumble or stay put. You know, hmm. and and it's funny if you when you're listening to it on Infidels, especially versus the other version. Uh, he, after he says into the narrow lane, he kind of chuckles, you know, into the narrow lanes, you know, I can't stumble or stay put. <laughs> so he's, that that's another kind of piece of how I read the, the song is, you know, coming out of the Christian faith, coming out of the Christian period. Like, you know, I never could, I never could follow the narrow path anyway. <laughs> I, never <laughs> could stumble, I never could make it work. <laughs> you know? Good. This is, interesting interesting you know i now i'm gonna go back and listen to this i feel like i'm gonna hear it in a totally different way now uh which is awesome <laughs> you know i love it again this is a song is 40 years old at this point uh and i can hear different things from it i did look it up there i wanted to learn some stuff about the um i went back and reread the chapter on it in terry ganz's great book surviving in a ruthless world and uh they t- he talks about where you know, him and Knopfler were working on it and they did the two different versions. And then there's a quote from Bob where he said, uh, after he was done with it, he said, uh, regarding the song, he says, I've had it with that. I think maybe we can do it better. Maybe we can't, but that's always the story. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how shruggy that is. It's like, well, yeah. no matter what masterpiece I, I managed to produce, maybe we can do it better. Maybe not, but that's always the way it is. Like, and you know, <laughs> nobody, none of his fans, none of his fans uh, would regard Bob's career, his not his career, his output, his art as a failure. None, nobody, yeah. nobody would ever say that about him. No one would, you know, you would say this is some of the greatest recording art ever made. But to a guy like him, when we know what he hears in his head. And if it's not what he hears in his head, he can be vicious towards his songs. He can be, I mean, you know, the kill your darlings thing. Bob is that writ large. Like put put of pride, you know, and yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Why does that make it? Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) and so you can imagine that maybe for some, for him to say something like that, maybe, maybe we can do it or maybe we can't. It seems like on some level, he's just like, I don't even know. Let's just move on. And yeah, for you, you loving this song. Like you wanted to talk about this song and he, oh maybe, goodness, yeah. maybe to Bob, it's like, yeah, that one's, yeah, <laughs> we didn't quite get yeah. it, but okay. And it's like, it's like that would, I feel like it's, a, that would be torture to go through life, not being able to appreciate Bob Dylan's art because you're Bob Dylan, because it's never measuring yeah. up to that mythical thing that you hear in your head. Well, I feel like if I went to him and said, Hey, let's talk about I and I, he'd probably go, I got nothing to say, especially about whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best answer, though, if he did that. Though that would be the greatest exchange you're ever going to have with uh, with Bob Dylan ever. Now, again, he obviously liked it enough because it appears on the real live album, which is the next album he did after this, and it's one of only two songs from Infidels to make it onto that record. Uh, and and so obviously, again, he kept trying it. He he performed it. He's performed it 204 times. He has yeah. not performed it since 1999. So it's been all of, uh, wow, 23 years since he's done it. But 204 performances in 15 years is not nothing. Yeah, you it's know? a lot. That's, I mean, that's, when you think about that, he really wasn't touring hardly at all from 84 to basically 87. That's a lot of, that, that, that's a lot of, uh, you know, playings, uh, for a song yeah. that was not a hit and not, you know, certainly not probably anything that most people, uh, except you, Stanley, when you finally see him live, uh, are going to get that excited about when he plays it. Well, yeah, if he does play it, I'll be singing along with every word. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> There's one guy yeah. out there with his lighter, you know, whatever he's exactly. doing now. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, have you listened to any of the, the live versions? I have not. I need to. Uh, I wanted to hear if he'd done any kind of reworking of it the way he's done. I'm not that I can tell. Uh, there's, you go to YouTube and there's a couple of live versions that he's done. And yeah, it's, it sounds, it, it, it has a little less of that spacey oral thing that Mark Knopfler helped put across, uh, in in live settings, but it's basically the song. The tune is pretty much the same. And from what I can tell, the lyrics are the same. Even the boot, the, the bootleg, the, the one that we talked about earlier. Yeah, the springtime uh, in New York. That, that one is yeah. very close. Turn, like the lyrics, almost no change. 
just a few changes, but uh, you look at like Joker Man. Uh, oh, right. There are tre- tremendous changes in in the lyrics, and actually, I, in that one, I, I think uh, the the record version is way, way, way better. I don't like any of those lyric changes on the other. Hmm, uh, interesting. Okay. But the 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 one on Infidels, I think, is just absolutely great. And I I, I once you know let's get like I said, I, I read that whole album, but especially Joker Man and Infidel and uh, I and I on Infidels as you know, reworking all of the all of those phrases and all those Bible verses and all those concepts and turning them upside down to say, hey, I got to clear my mind of these things. I got to turn them around and reassert, you know, this myself. I guess that's part of the part of the what I'm re- hearing, even in the phrase I and I. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has that Rasta, that Rasta meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Uh, are you familiar? There was. A, did you ever read any commentators on the song that mentioned uh, a theologian by the name of Martin Buber? Uh, no. There, there's a, a, a Jewish theologian, Martin Buber. I guess Buber or Buber, B-U-B-E-R. And his, uh, he had a, a concept of relationship between a person and the deity that was called I and Thou, an I and Thou relationship. To have a relationship with God or or any you know transcendent concept, including I guess personal relationships, but I think that was the main idea behind the the theologian "I and Thou," and that phrase became I, I think it was the title of his most famous book, "I and Thou," and I can't help but think that you know uh, Bob Dylan saw that and used it and said you know I'm going to get rid of the Thou part. It's just going to be me. I'm going to be self-reliant and I'm going to be on my own in this very desolate world where no man can see my face and live. You know? hmm. So uh, I, I kind of, I'm not sure if that has, that sort of interpretation has caught currency with anybody, but that's kind of echoes in my mind when I see that as well. Yeah. It certainly wouldn't shock me. Bob is incredibly well read as we know. Yeah. So uh, it wouldn't shock me that he's familiar with it. And again, now that we're, now that we're talking, I mean, just the, the phrase, the no man, uh, no man sees my face and lives again. It makes me think about that Bob himself constantly hides behind masks, you yeah. know, and that he's never, people think that they know him and they don't, they don't, you don't know him. if you haven't, if you're not friends with Bob, you don't know him. Yeah. No matter how many songs you've listened to, you don't know the man. And no, no, no. You know, uh, and he's, he's, I think he's been telling us that for 50 years and some people still don't, I think, quite <laughs> understand that. But, uh, but you know, he's, I mean, got even the cover, you know, with him with his shades on is yeah. this kind of implacable image of kind of like stand back. You don't really know yeah. me, you know, it's because it, the image is like, well, okay, that's just, this is, there's not much I can read into this. Uh, then he just looked kind of glowering you know at us even though he's got the shades on it's a little hard to tell but yeah but yeah um yeah this is, and the back of the back of the album has uh him standing uh, on a hill uh, with jerusalem behind him and yep, he's, picking, yep. he's picking up a rock you know? yep <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a photo from by sarah too i believe I, yeah. yeah uh that's now I, when, when i when i look at that i always think of uh he who is without sin cast the first stone. So he's starting to pick up a rock. He's like, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You've unlocked the secrets. He's sending secret messages on his back, it, back of his album cover, Stanley. You've got it. Yeah. You've unlocked it. The, you can see the uh, eyeballs through those sunglasses. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, the only the only cover I could find of this was by a reggae artist named Dr. Dredd, D-R-E. Uh, ad and he basically did a reggae remix of it and it's funny uh, the bob dylan youtube channel has basically claimed it and it's it's not uh it's not a cover exactly it's this guy who has remixed it and kind of turned it into its own thing and you know i listened to it and i was like um okay you know like obviously the the dylan people were okay with it or whatever you know i mean i'm sure bob enjoys it because bob likes i think strange versions of his uh, you know i think he likes it when people remix his stuff in weird ways i think he kind of enjoys that um but i mean I, other than that i could not find any other cover so again this is kind of you know this, this, this is too i think i think it's very hard for uh some people to to read themselves into this you know mm-hmm. like 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 what's what's that song he, the song he did that everyone did a hundred covers of uh off of um uh 
uh, time out of mind. Oh, make you feel my love. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think a thousand people could read themselves into that song and mm. obviously people want to, but you know, you're not going to see definitive too many people do covers of like, you know, Highlands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there probably are, but yeah, it's just it's so unique and the, the vision and the language is so obscure and unique to him. You know? Yeah, and also again, I think it's it. I, I, again, speaking only for myself, uh, the the verses are so again so grand, and then the 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 other verse, the chorus is so yeah. grand and big language. Cre- we're talking about creation and nature yeah. and man, you know, capital A, capital M, man, and then you get to the verses, and then they're so personal. They're yeah. so specific. And I can say maybe if you're a musician, you're, you're just like, well, this is hard finding my way into this. Now you mentioned that you, you, you're a musician. Have you ever tried to do this song? You know, the, I've never have. I, I, when I had that fake book and I, I need to go back and dig and see if I can find the dang thing, but I haven't played the guitar in many years, but, um, but yeah, it would be interesting to, to try to pick this out. The, I think that, uh, uh, the 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 mood of it though is actually in the in, to me is in the production not not necessarily the mm. uh, the words it's just so you know bleak sounding it just sounds like a desolate world there with all that soundscape like tinkling piano I, I, going in the background yeah, there yeah 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 yeah, and, think, and, yeah yeah so I don't think I could reproduce it in a way to make me happy <laughs> right <laughs> I could I could I could strum along I could strum along to uh, you know, you're a big girl now, but I, I don't think I could me- get the mood I want out of this thing. Like maybe this. you could do it better. Maybe you can't. That's always the story, uh, yeah. Stanley. That's maybe I make a make a make a remix. You know, as a polka or something like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> Give it a try. I mean, you know, it's the, the songs are for everybody. So, well, uh, Stanley. I mean, again, you uh, this you you pitched this to me a while ago, and I. You know, when every time it's a song that I'm not super familiar with, I'm like, all right, I get a chance to do my research. And you've thrown things at me regarding the song that I have never fully appreciated. And I love that. It's one of the reasons I love doing the show. And next time I listen to I and I, it's on my phone. Uh, I will probably hear it in, in a slightly different way. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for that compliment. <laughs> and I, I definitely enjoyed unloading about it. I just think about it quite a bit and I think about all these, you know, that, from the color that I was telling you about, the, the the sort of pitch that I gave you, that's that's kind of the how I see it. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's the kind of the kind of way it, it hits me. So then it's not wrong. Then it's not wrong. <laughs> you know, that's the beauty of it. It's not wrong. If that's the way. It, I mean, yeah, there are some there's some art out there that you can literally get wrong. I'd say in some people, you know, but but generally. There's no wrong way to interpret this stuff. So uh, excellent. Well, again, Stanley, thank you so much for doing this. Now, before we sign off, I want to ask you our standard exit question, which would be if there's any Bob Dylan recording session for anything, an album, Bean Time Radio Hour, uh, his the upcoming audio book for <laughs> philosophy of modern song, anything, <laughs> what would you what would you like to sit in on? Uh you know, you've been asking this question to a lot of people, and I thought I've got to come up with something. I got to think of something, and I haven't given it hardly any thought. But <laughs> you know, the, the the funny thing is, I really, I really like uh, the uh, the Daniel Lanois touch on uh, you know the time out of mind. That to me was very interesting, and I thought I think it would be very interesting to hear, you know, him. Bob Dylan and, and Daniel Lenoir, you know, try to work that out because that to me is a really, I know a lot of people really hate that, that uh, the production on that. And they say, oh, Jack Frost is the best. You know, we want to hear that kind of thing, but I, I like it. And I, I think it'd be cool to hear that, that record and how they put that together. That'd be cool. So it would, it would be time out of mind or Oh Mercy? Time out of mind. Time okay. out of mind. That, that's the one. Oh Mercy has a little less of that. I think, Daniel Lenoir perfected it on Time Out of Mind, and I, I like it a lot. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we know from Chronicles that, that they really fought like cats and dogs yeah. on Oh Mercy, yeah. and so maybe Time Out of Mind, uh, things were a little smoother. There weren't as much, you know, th- things getting thrown or whatever. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he hired Lenoir 
on purpose. You know what I mean? Obviously, they got yeah. long enough. And Lenoir was willing to subject himself to it again after doing a mercy. He was willing <laughs> to try again. So, I mean, again, Bob Dylan, you're not gonna you're not gonna turn him down. So, uh, okay, well, that's a perfectly perfectly good answer. So, well, Stanley. Thank you for coming on and, and talking this song with me. It was a lot of fun to to talk I and I with you. My pleasure, and all the best to your uh, upcoming wedding. Uh, well, yeah. Again, by the by the time everyone's hearing this, it will no longer be upcoming. But yes, as we're recording this, uh, it is still in the offing, and we'll ho- all hope it hope it goes well. For the love of God, please let it go well. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, of course, everybody you can find back episodes of the show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice. You can buy the super cool Bob Dylan jukebox t-shirt over on my Etsy store, which is Rob Kelly Creative over on Etsy. You can see the link in the show notes. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein for their support of Bob Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. <laughs>